won't get married in your 20s. Don't do it. Oh, this is this is kind of a freak show. Check this out. But she's not bloody or anything, so that's good. Um, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but it happens to humans. I would get ghosted before ghosting was even a thing, you know? Hey, I'm a trendsetter. even get I don't even get the Twitter um hi welcome to caterpillar goo this is Flora and this is Rod what are we talking about today Flora why do people get married at such a young age Amy got married pretty young so did I and so did you yep and we all got divorced yep yep in college in my science classes they said if you don't have at least one kid before the age of 30, there's a higher chance of having a child with Down syndrome and all these other chromosomal abnormalities. So that really scared me. So I'm like, okay, got to get married before I'm 30 so I can have a kid. I thought that getting married was just on the list of things you were supposed to do. And then when I met someone that it seemed like it was going to work, I was like, why not? <laughs> Now I know why not. <laughs> we barely know who we are at, in our 20s. Yeah, but you think you know everything when you're young. We do. We have it all figured out. But then there were those marriages that last forever, and they met when they were 17 or 20 or 21. And how do, how do they make it work? I don't know. Today we have an interview with Amy. You were supposed to do this interview, Flora. Why didn't you do this interview? I don't know. Did I have a sick kid? I can't remember now. Yeah, life, parenting, responsibilities, I don't know, something. So I stepped up and did the interview. And Amy was gracious enough to accept you. <laughs> she was pretty in gracious. Interviewer, yeah. I was kind of worried, like, you know, because, you know, I was going to be a female interviewer, so I was going to ask her some personal questions. I wasn't sure if she was going to feel comfortable enough to answer them with you. She was really cool. Yeah, she was cool. We talked for a long time. I think it was almost three hours we talked. It was fun. We laughed and talked, and it was very comfortable. You like these relationship ones, don't you? I do. I was really looking forward to this one because I wanted to know all about her. Marriage stories, divorce stories, dating stories, anything to do with love relationships. She has some good dating stories. She does. Interesting, <laughs> funny ones, yeah. I didn't ask her enough about sex. You know, you did not. <laughs> I should have been there. <laughs> so here's Amy's story. divorced in um, that was the spring of or summer actually of 2003 it's odd it seems like a lifetime ago in a way I was married for four years and we were together slash shacked up for four years before that I was living in Houston and he was living in Austin at the time and one night I was headed out with my friend Jennifer and of course, what, what precipitated my meeting him was me and my friend saying things to each other like, ah, forget guys, you know, we're just a couple of single gals. The plan was just for us to go and play a game of pool together. Well, we go out to play pool and who's at the, the table next to us but three, three guys who we started talking to and then playing a pool game with. I met Jeff that night, but he and I didn't actually date until almost a year later because I started dating uh, another guy in the group for about nine or ten months. And during that time, Jeff would come travel to Houston quite a bit, so I got to know 
Jeff a little bit. And not too long after he and I broke up, um, I had Jeff's number and I was like, ringy dingy. Hey, this is Amy. And uh, how you doing? And uh, did I mention I'm single? And so we went on a date and that was that. And we had a, a long distance relationship for about nine or 10 months. And I had lived in Austin before and was just itching to move back. And this was, wow, what a, what a great excuse to move back to Austin. And so we, um, I moved back to Austin and we moved in together. Mistake! <laughs> I had dated a little bit in college, but didn't really take a deep dive anywhere there. So I was, I was quite inexperienced in dating, even though at the time I thought, I thought that I had, you know, plenty under my belt. I, I thought that I was well equipped to wisely select a compatible mate. So I would have been in my mid twenties at that point. And, oh, I was, I was so mistaken. My parents divorced when I was 11 and their divorce was pretty awful. The only way it could have been worse is if either one of them had had any money. And the fallout of it was just so huge and extreme for the family that through that experience alone, I thought that that alone was going to provide me good lessons in terms of what to do and what not to do, how to pick a mate, what to look for, what not to look for. And of course, that's not what happened. There were a number of reasons why I selected Jeff as a mate, and I didn't figure it out until afterward. But one of those reasons was envy. I was fairly isolated as a kid. I was a loner in high school. I mean, I had one or two friends, but was very low key. Jeff at the time, I idealized these characteristics that I felt like he had in terms of he had been very happy throughout school and had a lot of friends and had maintained a lot of friendships even from when he was a you know a very small child and then his his family also I, I met them close to San Antonio where his parents lived in this lovely cabin and they were just lovely people and went there and had just this great time with with this family that seemed at the time to me almost like a, a family that you might encounter you might see in the movies and I didn't feel like the the black sheep or the the ugly duckling like I had even with my own family with my immediate family I, I definitely felt that way and so in in dating him it my world was opening up and it was opening up to this entire area and this this potential new family where I felt very welcomed and appreciated for for who I was and and what I brought to the table I grew up in Louisiana so I of course was a great cook and you know his family really appreciated my cooking and they love to cook and so that was something that we had a lot of fun kind of uh, bonding over in you know in their respective kitchens. I think I had ideas about feeling like I was a likable person and almost felt like oh I'm in this relationship with this guy who is very well liked well loved and if if he loves me and especially once he proposed um, you know if he wants to marry me then that must say something about me I must have turned a corner and I must be more likable and maybe I'm taking on some of these characteristics or, or traits so envy was a big old part of it that I, I failed to see or acknowledge at the time he was raised Jewish. I hadn't been raised Jewish, but I was born Jewish. And I found out when I was in high school and started to take an interest in that. And then when Jeff and I met and, oh, you're Jewish? Wait, I am too. That, that to me provided an additional opportunity to really become a part of something and 
And so that was definitely part of the appeal too. And Judaism, the more I learned about it, those were things that made sense to me. I had gotten kicked out of Sunday school in third grade because I asked a question that the teacher didn't like and I got kicked out. And so when I started to learn about Judaism later and how philosophically it embraces the idea of asking questions, that really appealed to me. And so I loved that we were both of the same religion and it seemed to me that we appreciated the same things about the religion. My vision was blurred by envy, idealism, and admiration of traits that I thought were there, not to say that they weren't. I mean, he was a funny guy, great sense of humor, and we could always find things to laugh about together. I overestimated humor's role and its ability to carry a relationship that only takes you so far. I would definitely advise anybody, don't get married in your 20s. Don't do it. My mom and dad, they got married when they were 19 and 20. So by the time I got married at 29, I thought, oh yeah, I did such a great job in biding my time and thought that I was just all prepared for it. And I mean, caterpillar goo, talk about gooey. You know, I mean, come on, you know, you're getting married and you haven't even pupated yet. You know, it just, it's, how is this going to, how is this going to fly? I, I do remember the night before the wedding, having the cold feet and thinking part of like feeling conflicted about it. Part of it was, oh, this is just cold feet and everybody has that. But there really was another part of me that thought this, I don't, you know, I haven't been married before but this does not feel, it doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't feel like something that, that is sustainable. I definitely played down the red flags, which I think is probably like number one mistake, right? took a couple of years. It might have happened faster, if not for events that cropped up that I think probably were distracting in a way. We had started work on building a house. And building a house is one of those things that unless you've talked to someone else, you're really in no way prepared for what an involved and high maintenance process and frustrating process it truly can be. And our house was supposed to be built in six months. It took three times that. Also a month after we got married, I lost my job. And I, I got a new job quickly, but between that and the fear about losing a job again, that created a whole focus on, on my work and my career. It probably kind of distracted away from things that later on got more of my attention. We were living in this house very close to the lake and had made friends in the neighborhood and were leading a lifestyle that was you know, really happy and adventurous and uh, comfortable at the same time. We didn't have a boat, but we had friends who did. And so it, it was, it was, you know, really a, a comfortable and pleasant time, despite little things in, in what seemed like at, the, at that point, little things in our relationship that started to kind of creep up. It's almost like if you imagine like a pool of water and you've, you've put your hand in that little pool and it's, it's just muddy, you don't see through. But then when you keep your hand still, eventually the dust settles and then you see clear through. Once we started to kind of get settled in as a couple, like, okay, this is what our, our path actually looks like that's when things started to unravel. And I'll bet you now there were things that were going on that I wasn't paying attention to. 
I was selling myself short by not acknowledging that and pulling some threads that needed to be pulled. But I let it go. Of course, communication issues come up for everybody, but I wasn't doing the due diligence. I wasn't being fair to myself. And it, it, the issue in the end wasn't not trusting him. The issue was me not trusting myself. I'm a lifelong student, and there are lots of things that I always wanted to learn, like while I was in college, for example, that I never really had an opportunity to because I put myself through school, and I just reached a point where, yeah, I would love to do this forever, but I'm broke, and I got to get a job, (laughs) got to do these other things called life, but wherever I could take like a drawing class or a painting class or a sculpture class. I got into gardening and set up a garden. And then before you know it, I was astonished to find that, would you believe it, deer were eating. And so figuring out, well, how do we, how do we set this up so that we can actually have the vegetables that we're trying to grow here? But we found, we found little things here and there to, to jump in on together. We had a lot of areas of agreement. We even agreed in areas where we were more vague or noncommittal, like with kids. We both felt like, well, we don't know. We don't know if we're going to have kids or not, but we both felt confident in our relationship that we would agree on if and when that would happen, but we felt like we would be on the same page about having kids. Physically, yeah. I mean, our, we always had had a good sex life, so that, that, wasn't, that wasn't an area of tension or, or issue. That only started to deteriorate after other areas started to. started to get interested in these TV shows that were on cable access in Austin. I don't remember the names of them, but they were, the hosts were conspiracy theorists. So I remember he would watch them and at first he would laugh about them. And I mean, there were some that were, there's no other way to slice it. They were absurd. I mean, there was one guy who wore a toilet lid around his neck when he was delivering his monologue. I don't know what that was supposed to symbolize, but uh, yeah, take him seriously. Um, but at first, he, you know, he'd watch these like, oh, this is, this is kind of a freak show, check this out. And then that changed. That changed to, you know, I think this guy might have a point. I mean, his, his interest in conspiracy theories built up quite a bit, his interest in that, to the point where that became very much a second job. He made some friends who were producers with Austin Cable Access, and before you know it, he was producing his own show. And I I wanted to be supportive of that because that was in many ways a creative effort, and it it was interesting to him, and you always want to support, you know, your mate's interests. The subject matter was really troubling to me. About two and a half years in, that's when things started to come apart, and it was a confluence or merger of several things at one time. The His interest in conspiracy theories had... It, that had fully matured and developed. And I, I didn't at all mind the amount of time that it took, like have all the time that you want for the things that you want to pursue. It was that he was bringing those things home with him, those topics home with him. And so our interactions and what, and what we really could talk about, that was narrowing in a way that was unfulfilling for me and at the same time also there are things that you must do as a married couple that 
aren't necessarily demanded of you when you're living together, when you're dating. And so, for example, like with the filing taxes, you know, filing taxes jointly, that kind of deal. And that called for a greater level of, of communication between us that we just clearly weren't equipped for. And there were, there were things, also, there were other areas where the trust was being eroded. I was keeping to myself a whole lot. I started to shut down and I started to not be at home so much, not going out and partying or anything like that, but just kind of going to a neighbor's or staying at work a little later. Jeff and I got to the, to the point where our our everyday interactions were very kind of vanilla and garden variety. Like he would call me at pretty much the same time every day to ask me what was for dinner. Yeah, things got boring for us just because we weren't finding new things together to enrich and inform that relationship. And so our interactions with each other got pretty anemic and I wasn't sharing and my feelings of trust I was starting to tap into that as a need that I need honesty it's not just that we love one another but we are friends to each other and we are supportive of each other yes but we are also protective of each other and I was feeling more and more like my best interests were not being regarded or protected. And in my head, what I saw, like the analogy that I draw, is almost like you see footage of when a space shuttle goes into orbit and it detaches, it just kind of unlocks from, I guess it's the the booster, it just detaches And the two units are never to be united again. They're just off into their own spaces on their own paths. And we had gone to counseling once. We went to a counselor and we talked about things. And then afterward, you know, we walked out and Jeff was like, All right. Well, that was cool. Glad we got that taken care of. Like it was something to mark off the checklist. And yeah, we talked about a little bit more after that, but I don't remember making like a big concerted push for joint counseling after that. I went for my own, just for my own individual counseling after that point. I think probably just talking things out and processing things out loud rather than having them just hamster wheeling pent up in my own headspace, getting them out and really exchanging with someone probably helped me to process things a, a little bit more clearly. So things got a little bit more clear for me in working with a therapist, but I didn't know when or how or if divorce was going to happen. I was, I was afraid, I was afraid to pull the trigger, not really sure how to go about that or what that would look like. And we had this whole life created and and built and were set, you know, like we were just gonna keep on as, as we had been and probably could have, could have in some ways, um, and I knew, I knew that Jeff was unhappy, I mean, because I mean, sex is, you know, a part of how you communicate together as a couple. And we just weren't, we weren't communicating, obviously, through sex or through anything. I mean, we'd really and truly shut down in a lot of ways. And I had shut down. I wasn't opening up about things that were frustrating me. And I was, I was letting it build up and up and up and up and up, just letting it build up, but not even perceiving it that way. And my uncertainty 
about the future and my feelings of investment into our life and our lifestyle just kind of kept me in a holding pattern for quite some time. It was just kind of this murky gray area where I felt like this doesn't feel at all good and I don't, I don't see it improving in any way because I don't see a path toward things getting better, but I wasn't ready to take action in any way. And then it just snapped. The decision to divorce was another off and on switch that all of a sudden got activated. That day at work, I had gotten news that my job was more likely than not on the chopping block. So there were rumors about that going around. So it was like, oh, okay, so I'm on the precipice of needing to find another job again. And I don't know what or how that's going to look like or how long it's going to take. So I had a whole lot going on in my head about that and was pretty troubled about it. And so he called me on his way to, to the studio to check in with me. And I said, I have a request and it's important. And I told him what had gone on that day. And I said, when you get home tonight, I just want a peaceful, tranquil night. Maybe we'll watch a DVD or something. But I, I need you to not talk at all about the stuff. Conspiracy theories, how the show went, anything like that. I don't want to hear a thing about it. Please, no, I need recess from that tonight. He agreed. He gets home, comes through the door, sits down on the couch. I'm sitting in the easy chair. He sits down and goes right into regaling me with all of the details about the show's production that night and the topic du jour. And I just sat there and I looked at him. I just stared at him. And... Finally, he, he sees the look on my face or recognizes it and says, what? And I said, I want a divorce. It, it just switched off. And it was like my mind and my body just went into autopilot at that point. I was no longer troubled about an uncertain future. I wasn't troubled about anything at all. I just knew what I needed to do. Can't unring a bell. You said it. Now you have to follow through. So Monday night, we split up. Tuesday night, I was in a hotel two nights. And then the night after that, I was in my new apartment. I, I had barely been able to pick up anything from the house, so I just had sheets, uh, my pillow, just a couple of other things, and I slept on, on the floor of my, my new apartment and cried. And I remember like bursting into tears at certain times. What was very unpredictable just came on all of a sudden, like when I was signing the, the lease papers at the apartment complex. I burst into tears and I remember that the apartment manager, of course, I bet she's seen many separated people in her time and she, you know, was consoling me and it, it felt very disorienting. Just all of a sudden, like, what's my path now? What's, everything was different. I mean, I, I got set up with my new apartment in pretty short order and on the outside things looked just fine and they were shaping up but on the inside I felt very it was a very gooey time <laughs> the whole process of, of marriage and, and the dissolution of it it took a long time and it, it, it even now I mean I, I still have revelations about it I definitely question things a lot more. I question things about myself, but I also know to trust myself and to consider myself. Hopefully I understand a lot more about what the necessary ingredients are in order for a relationship to make the long haul. I don't, I don't think longevity is that in and of itself does not 
necessarily, it doesn't reflect success, but the quality of the relationship. How are you with each other over time? You know, how, how will your lives naturally and also, you know, also through effort mesh well together? You know, what are the components of compatibility that really serve people the best? And humor is still definitely a part of it, a shared sense of humor, but shit, it's certainly far from the only thing, you know, it's a matter of figuring out like what areas there should be compatibility, like in terms of things that you have in common and areas that you complement each other. But there can also be areas where you're too much alike. It's, it's a matter of how do you, how do you identify and figure out that sense of balance where your differences and your similarities fit together well. I see the early part of a relationship, all those feelings like the butterflies in the stomach, kind of seeing like, oh, you're feeling this way. Well, you know that your your body's being bathed in all of these chemicals that are, you know, supposed to kind of goad you into or kind of lead you down this path. There's There's the giddiness and all that that's you know, really fun and enjoyable. But I also know your vision gets blurry because of things like that. So after I separated, I got into dating and I felt like there's still a lot I need to understand about who I am. But I, you know, jumped into it and online dating was really weird and still pretty new, I guess, at the time. So I got into online dating for a little bit and thought, oh, I'm, I'm backing out of this because I was, I was getting into these very short-lived kind of things where I would meet someone and we feel this kind of giddiness and then I would get ghosted before ghosting was even a thing, you know, hey, I'm a trendsetter. Or, you know, just things would come to an abrupt halt or all of a sudden I'd realize like, oh, no, I'm like, no, I gotta, no, this isn't, I took a big old break. It was six years before I dated anyone. I was strictly on my own and just determined like, you know what, I'm going to focus on living like the kind of person that I would want to date. And so I did acting classes and just anything that I got a lark for that I wanted to learn about, I did. I took acting classes. I went to ACC and started on a second degree in graphic design because that's, you know, I had things in that area that I'd always wanted to know how to do, even if I didn't make that into a career. Just, I just went about fulfilling my intellectual curiosity as I went on the exercise of making friends. There's a part of me that would like a relationship. There's part of me that would like a relationship right now. I still wasn't sure whether I wanted to have kids or not, but it wasn't like I had any biological clock ticking or anything like that, but didn't want to put myself in the position of not dating at all until it was too late. But I, I'm glad I allowed myself some time there just to be on my own in the world and focus on making friends, making and sustaining friendships because I didn't see that Jeff and I had done a good job of being friends to each other. And I really wanted to come at it from the standpoint of if I date someone, that's wonderful, but I want to be sure that we are friends first. I always had an independent streak, but I'm not sure that I ever gave myself a chance to really explore everything that truly being independent had to offer in terms of benefit, but also growth through challenge. I had lived by myself throughout college, but this was my chance as a fully fledged adult to work on something resembling a career, buying a house. I wanted to pursue goals and this was an opportunity to do those things without needing to partner or 
compromise or negotiate with someone. When I re-entered online dating years later, I tried out a couple of sites concurrently, but Jesus, like, I was on OkCupid for less than five minutes before I got propositioned by a couple. <laughs> it was like, uh-huh, um, wow, this, is this what this whole scene is like? And Match, it's almost like for each of these sites, like each one seems to have like its own brand or char characteristic or group of people that it tends to attract. Match was like the playing ground for married men from Houston who wanted to make it seem as though they were single and just in Austin for the weekend. And yeah, there was a lot of that. There was like on OkCupid, there were propositions from couples, or I remember getting a message from this one woman who posted pictures of herself in various states of dress. And I indicated that I was only interested in boys, so I'm not sure why she thought that this would be something I'd go for, but she sent me pictures of her in various states of undress down to lingerie, covering herself in chocolate syrup. And I was on eHarmony for 24 hours. I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm crawfish-tailing my way out of this one. That one was strange. It was like a, a whole lot of questions. And then it offered you up your matches. And I had no idea how my answers led to the profiles that I got. And so I left that. But... Yeah, lots of lots of lots of nice people. Um, few jerks in the mix there. I, I remember like a lot of just online online chats, online conversations, and then just ne never getting to the point where I was meeting someone initially, like in real life. At least not at first. I tried a couple of dates. Like it was like this initial giddiness and fun, and then crash. I tried Plenty of Fish also. Plenty of Fish was what I used that led me to my next serious relationship after my marriage. And that lasted for a year and a half. What I learned from that one, though, was that I had intentionally chosen someone who I wouldn't be able to have a long-term relationship with. Sometimes the only way out of something is through it. But I, I recognized that about myself in that relationship while I was in the relationship and took some time off from that and then dove back in. And I think my, my approach at that point was, was improved. I took kind of a more playful stance about it. And I, I took the approach of, well, you know what? No matter what, Either I'm going to have a great time, or at the very least, I'm going to have an interesting story. But I, I approached everything like, okay, it seems like we have a couple of things in common in this conversation. Okay, let's meet up. Let's have a cup of coffee. Or let's just see what happens. I knew that I would meet someone, and based on the little conversation we had, if we could find something in common, something that was interesting for both of us to talk about, it was usually like writing or art or something creative, I would learn something or I'd have a good story about it or something. So I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily going into it for like, is this the one? It was just a matter of, let's just meet up in the light of day and see how it works out. And it worked out everywhere from... I met up with a guy where about mm, 15 minutes into the conversation and he asked me to wax his mustache for him. <laughs> nah. Um, to, um, I met a guy who was operating his own, he called it a porn site, but it consisted entirely of only 
photos of women fully clothed smoking cigarettes. But it was just it's just interesting, you know, like just meeting different people from all walks of life. I just took it on as just a way to meet new and interesting people and just having a, a just being exposed to different frames of, of mind. And whenever, whenever I met someone who was creative, it was always fun to talk about and see what they were working on. I'd meet someone and I'd, I'd think, oh, well this, you know, we're attracted to each other and this has a, you know, this has a real possibility, but we just ran into a, a failure to launch, like where things just got too accelerated too quickly. And then I hit the point where that was getting a little bit painful. I met one guy where um, I was really interested and really hoping that things would develop. And then he made it clear he wasn't interested in really continuing to date or anything like that. And that was a painful experience for me. And after that, I thought, you know what, I need to change. Again. And I felt like, okay, this is this is where I need to become more more intentional. And if it's a relationship that I want, if it's a boyfriend that I want, if it's something that really can have a chance of standing the test of time and being good for me and good for the other person, then I need to articulate exactly what that looks like. And I wrote down, these are the things that I'm looking for in the, in a partner. This is what I would ideally like for a relationship to really look like. And these are the things that are important to me, like a shared sense of adventure and an emphasis on on having that as a part of life and even like describing like physical characteristics, not having the expectation that I was going to meet someone who would fill all those things to a T, but just as a way of kind of reflecting back to myself, well, these are the things that I have in mind by virtue of putting those things down on paper. It helps to kind of start the path toward creating it more more real, you know, like from Wooden Boy to Pinocchio. And I didn't know if that would be effective in bringing it closer to me, but I thought, well, what's the what's what's the harm, you know? Uh, at least I've got this more clarified to myself, but I mean, I wrote stuff down and then I put it on top of my mantle where I would see it. And just by having it in front of me where I'd see it in passing and review it and reflect on it, that that helped. And so I, I met Stephen a couple of months after that, and the trajectory, the path of our early relationship, I felt like there was a lot there that we got right. We were friends first and spent a lot of time talking and sharing and just being just truly being friends to each other before we were boyfriend and, and girlfriend and that felt really good we got engaged about a year and a half in to the relationship and that's one of the ones that was one where I really like there wasn't any kind of feeling of cold feet or like when we got engaged I thought here we have all the ingredients that we need to last I was wrong but I feel like I got more right about that one and that one the dissolution of that relationship was emotionally a lot harder than my marriage the the list that I put together continued to evolve, or really I would just make new lists, you know, like progressive elaboration. There were also things that I realized like, okay, so how do I feel about myself in this relationship? And so I would add things, or I would write down a list of, you know, how do I want to feel? And um, more about what kind of adventures do I want to experience with someone. But I'm engaged now, and it's 
it's a leap of faith in a way, but that's not, it's not like a, a leap of blind faith. It's figuring out the right questions to ask yourself and not, not taking things for granted. I mean, it's important to have shared interests. Having shared projects that you talk about and want to work on together is great. And that's something that Greg and I have. So he's an entertainer and a mentalist. And I'm learning. I love, I just love being with someone that you learn from. He's accomplished in, but also he has very much that attitude of like learning as a lifelong experience. It's just part of what's exciting to be human. And we're both big time bookworms. And so he's sharing a lot with me and I'm learning a lot from him and taking advantage of all of the literature that he has around mentalism. So I'm getting into that and also doing things like card reading. And so I do readings using playing cards rather than tarot. So I've gotten the skills down now and I do readings for people. In fact, if you want one, you're, I'm happy to, to give you one, but I don't have anything like marketing wise set up yet. So I don't have a website to blog or anything like that. I'm still coming up with my stage name as it were. So I, I identified a stage name, but then wisely I Googled it and it came up as the name of a popular porn star. And I was like, <laughs> oh, uh, no to that. That could, yeah, confusion around that could be interesting. So I'm gonna avoid that. So I gotta figure out another name. I would love to get to the point where I feel very comfortable about being in the moment and extemporaneous and like with my current job and with previous jobs, they have involved public speaking and I, I've gotten better at it and I'm not at the point to where it leaves me feeling catatonic anymore. So that's good. So that's progress. But I sometimes, like, I feel like I plan too much in advance or maybe lean onto that too much as a crutch, which then might result in it feeling a little bit more, seeming a little bit more stilted or scripted or something like that. And I would love for it to feel a lot more natural. Like, Greg, I mean, he's he's very comfortable with being on stage and in the moment, you know, he's very well practiced at it and he's great at it. And see, that to me is a healthy kind of envy, for lack of a better word. You know, like I admire this in this person, but it's it's not like I'm idealizing that. The things that I admire about him are just one facet of the many reasons why I'm with him. It's not like I could pass myself off as, you know, hey, I've got it all figured out. I mean, I have more figured out than what I did. And I imagine that there are blind spots that I've got now that maybe, maybe not I'll realize later. But I, it's, it's a practice, right? A relationship is a practice and I feel like I'm getting better at that practice I've had a hard time in the past with like I'll have an emotion, like I'll feel frustration or I'll feel anger or I'll feel just kind of a nagging feeling, but elucidating why I feel that way, feeling anger without being able to explain why it was. Well, then my reaction would be delayed because I wouldn't share that I was feeling an emotion, much less why. And then it would take me some time to figure out the why. But by the time I figured that out, it was really too late to go back. In my mind, I felt at the time it was really too late to go back and say, hey, you know, when I was seeming pissed off, well, this is why it was. And let's talk about. And again, that's practice. Not just, I mean, I still have those moments where I feel upset about something and I don't know why, but I. I bring that up, even if it's not something that I can explain just to get it out there and even just talking through it and, and being with someone who you can talk, talk through those things with, you know, for me, I think it's, it's just a matter of considering yourself 
be selfish in love. I don't mean selfish as in like being regardless of someone else's needs or feelings, but but I mean it's it's you got to consider yourself as much as, you know, you're considering the other person. Think about what you need. digging the 40s I am totally digging them because I feel I feel more childlike and free than I ever did and I feel like embracing kind of having the beginner's mind and I don't know what I don't know in some areas and and being okay with myself over that being among other adults, other divorced adults, talking with other other adults who have been in, you know, marriages, divorces, significant relationships, and sharing all of those things. It's like, yeah, nobody really has it figured out. And that is a tremendous relief. <laughs> tremendous relief. I don't know what it is about being young that makes you so worried about what's normal and why does it feel important to feel normal and what is that anyway? I don't know what my hang up was about feeling normal or fitting in or anything like that, but one of the wonderful things about getting older is that you find out nobody really fits in, but that said, we all kind of find our tribes in a way. That was Amy talking about love. She's got some good experiences, some good words of wisdom. Lots of lessons. So thanks for listening. I wanted to ask you all to do us a favor. If you could rate us and review us on iTunes, that would be great. And I have another request. If you could record yourself on your voice memo on your phone saying Caterpillar Goo, however you want to say it, just say Caterpillar Goo, and then send it to me at rod at rodhayden.com, R-O-D-H-A-D-E-N, rod at rodhayden.com. I want to use them in intros and audio beds and stuff like that. Next season, should we do a next season? Should we take a break? Are we taking a break? What are we doing? Maybe. Maybe we'll take a break while we uh, work on making some more content, finding some more interviews. If you want to be interviewed, if you've got a transformation story, drop me a line with that too. So we'll probably take a break so we can build up some more content and then do a season two because Flora hates our theme song and I told her I wasn't going to change it until we did a second season because I believe in brand consistency. (laughs) And I believe in change (laughs) and new and innovation and things like that. So maybe we'll see you next week and maybe we'll see you next season. How long is the season on these things anyway? Ten. Ten (laughs) is the magic number. Okay. Thanks for listening. Bye. Push it real good. I don't know the rest of the words. <laughs>